Good morning, y'all. Surely the Lord is in this place. Like, no, for real, for real, the Lord is in this place. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity that I do not take for granted, and I don't take it lightly, to stand in the midst of you, because surely you are in this place. Father, I thank you for what it is that you desire to do, not just today, but beyond the perimeters of these walls, beyond the perimeter and the boundaries of today, beyond the perimeter and the boundaries of tomorrow, but what you want to do consistently and constantly in the hearts of your people. Father, I thank you this morning because you're good, and we just bless the people, and we say bless the word in Jesus' name, amen. It is very thick up here, and I am trying my best not to be on the floor to deliver this. I want to encourage you all in something, and I shared a little bit about this last week. So I'm going to say it again because sometimes we got to see it a couple of, say it and see it a couple of times before we catch it. When the presence of the God, when the presence of the Lord comes in the place, God is doing something. He inhabits the praises of His people. So as a people of God. It is upon us, it is incumbent upon us that we begin to rise up, you heard Lee say it, and meet the Lord in the place that he's invited us to. God is moving in our midst, and I don't know if you all feel this, but it's getting thicker and thicker every week. So I need you all to begin to get uncomfortable with worship because it's only going to become more and more intense and we will not begin to shut worship down so we can get to the message because for you that's the good part because God inhabits the praises of his people and when we're in a place of worship and we're in a place of active engagement something happens there's something being birthed out of our house so when you said there's a pregnancy Lee I almost slid on the floor because something is being birthed in our house. And this morning as I was preparing, and I heard God say something about the importance of worship while giving birth. And I'm not a midwife, and I'm not a doula, and I don't do anything that involves women and giving birth because there's blood, and I'm not the fan of blood. But I called my daughter and I said, let me ask you this because she is a midwife. In your experience and in your practice, have you noticed and have you seen a difference in women who have worship music playing and surrounding the atmosphere with the glory of God while they're in the midst of labor and giving birth? And she said, 100%, absolutely. And then she began to give me an example. And then she sent over a text. What, what It was a scientific, non-Christian scientific message and um, thought train about women who invite music into the labor in the worship process and how it calms them and it makes the birthing process easier. So just imagine for a minute, if you will, if the world and all of its science and data can show scientifically, because you know we like to follow the science, but if they can show that music makes a significant difference in a woman giving birth, how much more when the bride of Christ is about to birth the move of God, surrounding the bride by worship, how much more do you think? the glory of God comes in and moves in our midst so that we can birth out of us what God is bringing forth this morning started last night I was on my face and I began to ask God what do you want to do what do you want to talk about and I'm always having conversations with him and I told him I'm no longer satisfied with traditional prayer I'm no longer satisfied with going in the prayer closet and saying God bless this one and bless that one and God move and move in this way I said God what do you want from your people and he said I want active engagement and active engagement is a lot like active labor because an active engagement is when your body begins to move and everything is aligned and you're completely in face and your cervix is thinned out and you're about to bear down and begin to push. He's inviting us into active engagement in this season. And as I begin to look in the word, because I love the word, and he highlighted something to me in Luke 1. Jesus, here we go. 
He highlighted something to me, and I'm, a, I'm going to read it for you. So you all will know that it's in the book. And when I say the book, I mean in the word of God. Jesus. And it was when the angel encountered Mary and he told her what was about to happen to her and the, how the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she was going to become pregnant and she was going to give birth and, you know, the whole thing. And says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry. Somebody say in a hurry. She got in a hurry. She didn't dilly. She didn't dally. She didn't lag her. She got in a hurry. So in a hurry, Mary arose and went into a hurry to the hill country to the city of Judah. Some translations say Judea. And I want you to mark that. I want you to put a pin right there because she immediately received what the Lord says that you're about to become impregnated and you're about to birth something. And it looks like a whole revival. It looks like the redemption of mankind. It looks like the Messiah. And what did she do when she got that word? She got a hurt. She got up and got in a hurry and went to praise. Judah is praise. She got up in a hurry and she immediately received the word and went to the place of praise. Something happens when we posture our heart that we will immediately respond to the word of the Lord by going into praise. Praise will concrete what the Lord is speaking and saying and doing in you. <laughs> it gets better from here. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain it to you in a different way. This is in the book of Dr. Tony Robinson, chapter one, verse one. Here we go. You ready? Mary immediately got up and received what the Lord was doing and went into a posture of praise. And upon getting to the city where she went to the place of praise, the moment that her cousin saw her, some translations say her and the baby inside of her left. When we orient and posture our heart to a place of praise, the Jesus in you ought to make the Holy Spirit in me relief. The Jesus in you, the promise of the Messiah that you bear ought to make revival birth out of me. Something ought to be leaping in our hearts this morning because we have encountered the Father. And guess what? Jesus and it says, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She immediately went into a place of the prophetic. We want to see the prophetic. We want to see the prophetic activated in us. Allow the Jesus in you to meet the revival in me. And all of a sudden we'll see you, you, you begin to rise up and prophesy. And what do I say when I say prophesy? The <laughs> The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So immediately we begin to rise up and testify about the goodness of the Lord of Jesus that then becomes a prophecy for the entire world to see and know that the goodness of the Lord is in the land of the living and it becomes more than just a song that we sing that says, I believe I'll see your goodness in the land of the living because I've been living for a long time and I can tell you now, I'm not still just believing that I will see it. I'm looking at it every day. And it doesn't look like stuff. It looks like a move of God. It looks like you, 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 and you. Jesus, he's moving in our midst encounter. He's moving in our house. There's something that's taking place in here that God is wanting to bleed out into the streets. Jesus, there we go. And that wasn't necessarily the message this morning. But God wanted you to hear that. So that was the word. 
that was the message. But I want to share something else that I'm not going to be before you long because I believe God said what he wanted to say. But because I feel like there's some people that needs to hear the other parts of this. The word that he gave me specifically was, let me pull this up because it's a cute title and he never gives me titles. It's Moms of Unconventional Measure and Inconvenient Times. Because it's Mother's Day. And he began to highlight to me, because we know the obvious, we know about Mary, we know about, you know, Elizabeth, we know about these people, but there are some hidden moms in here that were unconventional mothers in inconvenient times. Can I tell you right now, thank you, Jesus, because you just hide the sin, you are so brilliant. Can I tell you that there's never been a significant move of God that wasn't first birthed out of a woman? Jesus came from somewhere. John came from somewhere. Moses came from somewhere. And funny, we're going to start with him. We're going to start with his mom, Jacobab. And I butcher in this poor woman's name, but you know, if they were born in modern times, they'd have a really nice, easy name. But in the book of Exodus, something was happening in Exodus 2. Under the pressure and under the weight, the children of Israel, they were being, there rose up a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the covenant and things that they had in place with Joseph. He didn't remember anything about Joseph. But what he did see was that the people were numbering by the masses and they were outgrowing the Israelites. How many of you know that the church isn't dying? It's, it's enlarging itself. We're growing in masses under pressure, under what, what is that word? A persecution and all that stuff. The church is still enlarging itself, right? And I love how Jordan always says and my son Jordan he says which is true he said the people begin to cry out for a deliverer they begin to cry out for freedom and deliverance and God could have came down and said here I am I'm here to free you and deliver you but God didn't do that he sent a man and that man was Moses but in that time that Moses was born it was that I believe, Lee, correct me if I'm wrong, historically, that was literally one of the worst times for uh, the death of children because the Pharaoh had issued an order for children to and under to be born. He had um, given word to two midwives and said, hey, I want you to watch these women when they have births. If there's a boy, I want you to kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. There's nothing new under the sun. We think it started in 1973. It's nothing new under the sun. You want to know when there's a significant move of God taking place in the earth? Watch how the enemy begins to decimate, destroy, kill babies. I said it. There we are clear. So we understand it's not even necessarily about overturning anything. What it is is about the enemy is trying to stop a move of God that can't be stopped because the enemy can't go ahead of the Lord and thwart his plans for the world. But anyway, here's Moses' mom. And the children of the Hebrew children are increasing in numbers. And then he made an edict, which is a law and a command that babies born had to be tossed into the Nile, throw them in the river. And then Moses' mom gave birth and she had a boy and she saw that this boy was special. She saw that there was something different about this one. And she, I'm sure as a mom, was conflicted as to what to do. And she made up in her mind, and I'm paraphrasing here for the sake of time, but she was holding on to this one. And then she built an ark. It's always safety in the ark. It's always safety in the ark. If you find yourself in the ark, you'll find yourself in safety. And she put him in the ark. And then she did the most bravest thing that any woman could do at that time. She then took her baby and placed the baby in the, in the ark in the Nile River. And I had to read that about 13 times because I said, well, wait a minute. Because initially my first thought was like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's crocodiles and whatnot in the Nile River. And then it's like, no, it's something more than that. The same place that the law was saying, throw the babies in and kill them was the very place that she put the baby in to save the baby's life. You better make sure that God can trust you, to tr that you can trust you to trust him with what he's given you. So when he asks you for a back. Because the moment that he can trust you with what he's given you and you're willingly give it back, that thing will grow and prosper. <laughs> 
And as she set this baby down the very river that was designed at that point to kill every other baby, that was an act of faith. And the Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby. And then here's Moses' sister like, oh, you found a baby, did you? That's a cute little baby. I happen to know a lady who could probably help you. Did you want me to go get her? And she said, yes. And the reason why this was significant, this is a piece, y'all, this is a piece. Because she gave her back her baby to, to nurse and to keep the baby in the most formative years of that baby's life. See, what you have to understand is the formative years of a child's life is when they get education. It's when they get nurturing. And it's like when you know when we get our little babies and toddlers in children's church and we're teaching them about Jesus and about God and his goodness. The other babies around Moses' age were being taught about, you know, uh, Egyptian mythology and about Isaacs and about the sun god Ra and different forms of worship and a God that wasn't the God that Moses was recreated to birth. But not Moses because he was being trained and taught up in the house of his mother who knew the God of all gods. When you trust God, he doesn't miss a beat. See, Moses didn't get his teeth cut up on the things the other children got cut up on. He got cut up, brought up under the knowledge of God. How do we know this? Because historically we can see it today. When you send your kids to kindergarten, they still teach in ABCs, one, two, threes, and iPads. <laughs> Nothing's changed. So the very basic things that they were teaching then, they were teaching then. And so they were teaching, she got to teach him about God. She got to teach him about truth. She got to teach him about right identity because he had to lead a people out of an enslaved identity into a right identity. And I began to look at her name, and I was like, Lord, what, is, what does her name mean because it's standing out, right? <laughs> Do you know her name meant Yahweh is glory? Yahweh is glory. So this woman who bore the name of glory gave birth to a deliverer. And then I began to look at this again, and it said, God, it said, she was a daughter of Levi married to a Levite. So I began to look at what that entailed. And I said, oh, that's quite interesting, huh? That the Levites were assistants to the priests in the worship of the, in the Jewish temple. The primary role and assignment was of, of a Levite was to lead worship. And we still don't believe that worship precedes birth. Because she was a worshiper, because the father was a worshiper, they birthed something into the world that would deliver their people. Man, y'all better get this because we're birthing something in this house. You hear me by the spirit? And then there's Hannah in 1 Samuel. And here's Hannah, Samuel 1. I don't have the scripture here. And I'm, for the sake of time, I would read it. But Hannah married a man and she, her womb was closed. Her womb had been closed up. Now, make no mistake about it. Just because her womb was closed doesn't mean she was barren. Those are two different things. But her womb had been closed. And there was another wife, Panina. And Elkanah had two wives. He had Hannah. He had Panina. And Panina was given baby after baby after baby. And she was birthing after birthing after birthday. So it looked like she was winning. And she would torment Panina. And this is something, this is going to bring hope for the woman who is still wondering, God, when is it my time? Will it be my time? I'm going to help you with that today. That place of pushing and they went up. Let me pull this up because I just want y'all to know that it's in the book. I know the story, but I want to make sure you know it because I want you to see it for yourself. Here we go. And it says, okay. Let's start on this page. If I can get this page. I got new nails. <laughs> and sometimes they're cute, but they're not always working the best. 
Okay, anyway, we're going to start right here where we're at. So it says, uh, what he would do is that he would give meat. Here we go. Okay. So it says, Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship. Somebody say worship. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Panina and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. In the midst of sometimes what looks like closed doors and closed wounds, we can begin to be so focused on what we don't have that we miss that God has given us a double portion of everything else. And see, I'm going to go back to Moses' parents being Levites because when they came across and they went into the promised land and they distributed the land and there was the 12 tribes and everybody got a portion except for the Levites and the reason they didn't get a they didn't get a portion was because God said I am your portion and sometimes we forget that God is enough and so we begin to get enthralled in worshiping the promise more than we worship the promise giver because we don't understand timing and some of you have prophetic words about having a baby or having things in your life that haven't come to pass yet and you're waiting for those things to be birthed and I'm going to tell you right now it's like God did I miss it what happened I'm going to help you out with this right quick okay so when you get a prophetic word the, the there's th things that you need to do one is trust the revelation because that's the purest form of the word the second is trust the interpretation less than the revelation because in interpretation it can start to get a little bit convoluted. And the third is trust the application less than those. And then the last is trust the timing less than any of those. Because what happens is we get a revelation and then when we don't see that it comes to pass, we begin to try to interpret our own self. And then we make the mistake of trying to apply the interpretation that we came up with. And then we'll try to manipulate the timing of the application of the interpretation. And we lose the purity of the revelation. And then we're way out here in deep waters. And God is like I'm over here in the pond so I want to help us because we've been waiting and sometimes we say well when is revival coming I thought it was coming I thought it was coming and we begin to worship the concept and the idea of revival and we miss the moments that God is moving Chris said the river get in the river get in the river it was a revelation right there that the river revival is here come in jump in the altars is open we made space I don't know if you all noticed this today but I did it and I noticed it and I don't know if you did it on purpose but the altar was enlarged I told Chelsea I said, it looks a little vacant here. What happened? Did, are we missing a row? And God said, no, I just made space. I made space. So during the places of worship, there's space up for you to come get in the water. Come get in the river. The altar is a safe place. You don't have to wait to be invited. Come and dive in. Oh, it's rich in the house this morning. It's rich in the house this morning. And so here's Hannah, and she can't have a baby. And here's Penina and with all her meat, but Hannah has a double portion. Do you know how much meat you have to give seven sons and daughters? And then you get a double portion of that? That's like you got a roast and I got the whole cow, but I can't see that I have a whole cow, which means if I have a whole cow, I get a calf, I get the milk, I get the cheese, I get the dairy, and all you got is a steak. You go ahead with your bad self. But when the calf has be, when the cow has become my golden calf, I'm really afraid to let it go because if God says I got a sacrifice that I may not have anything. Because sometimes we forget that he is the he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and then he also owns a thousand hills that the cattle set on. So let that sink in. Woo, Jesus is rich in here because he's the God of more than enough, right? And so he said he had given her a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. 
Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Listen, when you want to know that God is making a move in the land and he's about to move on your behalf, watch and see don't the rival begin to provoke you. All of a sudden, we begin to talk about righteousness and I didn't even mean to go here with this because that's not even my jam. I'm on a whole different page and a whole different book. But all of a sudden, this thing is about to be overturned to go back to the States because this is where it should have been in the first place. And every rival is coming in to poke the bear and provoke and manifest in people that have authority on television. It's because God is about to move and the rival is trying to provoke us. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. I'm telling you, times are coming on the land right now in our present where the enemy is provoking us and we think, oh God, no. And he's like, oh no, all we got to do is turn down a plate. The enemy provoked this woman into a fast and she didn't even know about it. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Can y'all hear the father say today, church, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downcasted? Job said, why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in who? Come on, church. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And once they have finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. There comes a moment, I'm telling you, people of God, where you are going to have to stand up. We will stand up. It says she stood up. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. I can tell you that this woman had probably spent years praying, God, give me a baby. I just want a baby. Lord, I just want a baby. At this point, I don't know. It could be twins, quadruplets, a cat. A pu- I just, just give me a baby. There was two sisters in the Bible, and one was fertile and one was not. And she began to get angry at her husband and say, give me a baby, at least I die. And she said, and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his hand. And she kept on praying and Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard and he thought she was drunk. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we won't even talk about how sometimes religion will misinterpret our relationship and say, oh, they act like they're drunk over an encounter. They don't have any dignity. They just rolling in the altar, dancing before the Lord and people that came in wheelchairs coming out of them and people that were blind can now see they they're undignified over there. But how about this? We'll become more undignified than that. And the priest said to her, and how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Let's begin to declare now we'll be for drunk until the Lord returns. We'll keep drinking deeply from his well until we are so intoxicated by his love, until we're so intoxicated by his presence that we will soon realize that there's nothing broken, nothing missing, and nothing barren in us, that all we do in the midst of our drunken, intoxicated love with the Lord is produce what he's called us to produce, and that we'll continue to multiply. And she said, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my grief, anguish, out of my great anguish and grief. And he said, go in peace. We about to hear that. Because we're going to be a reflection of what the world needs now. Because where the world is troubled in chaos and we see peace, there'll be there people will come to see what the Lord is doing. Because I heard it was going, I heard you guys are crazy and I came to see. And they're like, no, go in peace. And not only that, where do I sign up to join you? Go in peace and may the Lord of Israel grant you what you have asked him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away. <laughs> and early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord. 
There's that word again. They worshiped. And then they went back to their home. And Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. I'm telling you, when we can align our hearts in a place in a posture of worship, and we get directly in front of God face to face, there's nothing that he will withhold from us. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. Remember, she changed her posture and she stopped asking for a baby and asked for a son. And here's the caveat to all of that. Hannah wanted a child and God needed a prophet. And there had to be a specific timing for his birth. So sometimes the thing that we're praying for, whether it's a physical child, whether it's a manifestation of a move of God, we forget that God's timing is in everything. So when we grab the revelation of the word in the purest form and we bring our hearts into direct alignment and say, God, I don't know when the timing of it is. I don't know what it looks like. I won't try to interpret this on my own. I won't try to apply it on my own. But what I will do is stand in a posture of praise and worship you until the promise comes. There's a prophetess in the Bible called Anna. God didn't let her die because she lived in that place at the temple worshiping God. And he said, you won't die until you see the Messiah with your own eyes. Some of us have promises over our life and prophecies. And God said, you won't die until I see it. But I need you to stay in a place of worship because if you see me, you see the promise. If you see me, you see the fulfillment. If you see me, you see hope. And understanding that God has not forgotten you. Period. Point blank. Ever. At any time. And there's one last woman I want to introduce you to. Because this is key. Let's go back to this. Sometimes. Thank you Holy Spirit. Just read a note here. Sometimes. Because what happened was Hannah. When the baby was born. And she took Samuel to the temple because she honored her vow. She honored the promise that she made to the Lord. She didn't forget him because he remembered her. And in that place, she began to worship. (laughs) And she said something like this. There is. My mouth boasts over my enemy for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like the Lord. Sometimes it seems like the enemy is getting the upper hand where he's provoking us and provoking us. And sometimes we got to go back and tell the enemy, thank you. Because if you hadn't provoked me, I would have never cried out. (laughs) If you wouldn't have told me to be quiet and stop believing for change on the earth, I wouldn't have cried out even more. If look, if the Pharaoh would have just let the Egyptians alone and let them have had let them have babies, they were already in slavery. They had no freedom, so they would have been content to continue to stay to stay slaves. But because he saw the potential and he got afraid of what they could do, because they didn't realize, I don't think that they could have rose up and overtaken the Egyptians at any time. The enemy understands we can rise up and overtake him at any time. We just don't know it. <laughs> so if he would have just let them be, let them keep having babies in a slave the babies too they might have still been in bondage to this day however because the enemy began to provoke them that caused something to rise up in them to begin to cry out as the world feels like it's trying to crush around us the church is crying out for freedom the church is crying out for righteousness the church is crying out for purity the church is crying out for holiness and the Lord he is moving on our behalf and answering our requests and responding to our cry so we can go back and tell the enemy thank you And one last woman in the second Samuel, her name is Rispa. And this is for the mamas. This is for the mamas who's looking like I got a prodigal. And you feel a little bit powerless. Let me tell you, God has your back too. Miss Rispa can finally be found in the second Samuel 21. And it's funny because Rispa was a concubine of Saul's and she had these children and then David came into, into office and things began to sh- change and then some people came and I'm going to let you read it yourself because it's a long chapter if you all don't mind and it's good for you all to read the word and know it for yourself too. 
because we're a house that's committed to being like the Bereans, where we will search, search out the scriptures to be sure that these things that they say are true. And so in the midst of what happened, there was people that were being killed. And not only was Rispa's two sons killed, five other men were killed beside them. And as a mom, we need to remember that although our sons and daughters aren't actually being killed, but these men were killed unjustly. And, you know, in, in, in Hebrew, and even to this day, they don't leave bodies uncovered. It's like they die and they got to be buried. They have to be, the bodies have to be properly handled within a certain time frame. And they left the bodies of these men open on a hill, her son and two more. Three more, rather, right? And they left their bodies open and out for the vultures and the things to come and to attack them. And this woman, this mama, when you understand the power that you carry as a mama, you'll perfect, you will protect the very thing that God has birthed out of you. Whether it's a mother of nations, a mother of natural children, a mother of a movement, you will protect it. So this woman was a concubine of Saul and her two sons along with five other men were killed in retribution for the past sins of others. And these men were killed and their bodies left on a hill exposed. Rizba took it upon herself to cover all of these men. She didn't just say, well, I'm praying for my kids. God bless you. Hope yours get it together. I'm going to pray for mine and no more. She had an understanding that if it was unjust for the two, it was unjust for all of them. So she took it upon herself to cover it all. How many of you know that when we come out of our church boxes and our de denominational mindsets, not us, the people in Texas, and we begin to say, okay, well, that's just central over there. The devil's attacking them. So you know what? They yeah, that we go over here. We're good right here, right? No, 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 no. We're, we all belong to the Father. So when we see the value of them over there and them over here and them over there, and we decide that we'll stand and we'll cover all, something happens. And so she took it upon herself to cover all of these men. The Bible says she took sackcloth and spread it out on herself for herself on a rock. And from the beginning of the harvest to the rain poured down from heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. I have read this thing and I researched it out. And from the time of the harvest to the time that the rains came was precisely six months. And sometimes we can't get ourselves in agreement to pray for six minutes. This woman stood in a place of intercession and said, not mine and not theirs. I will cover them when nobody else will. The devil won't come like vultures in the night and rip their bodies to shreds and pieces. The wild animals won't get to eat off of their flesh because I'll stand in the gap we as a movement are dedicated to standing in the gap for the children of the saints and those that don't know their saints yet mama if you got a child that's out there going their own way we're here to tell you we stand in agreement with you you're not alone we'll, we'll put out a sackcloth and we'll stand for as long as it takes because we are a house where the prodigals come home six months Six months. Can you imagine being camped out for six months by yourself next to six decaying bodies, guarding them, protecting them from being mauled, eaten, and torn asunder? Can y'all see how this relates today when the enemy is trying to devour our children, twist their identities, call them into dark places, barren places, and the world is ushering us in here, come this way, and do this, and all, offering them all manner of stuff. Jesus. And while our children are not dead, they're under attack. And there is a very real animal, enemy seeking to devour them. And we're not a house that glorifies the devil because he's not even worth it. Because we're a victorious people, but we're not blind.
we still have vision and it's important that we're a house of vision because some people can only have they only have sight and sight and vision are two very different things because you can see I have sight I can see right now but because I don't have my glasses on everything is kind of blurry so I can't really identify and make out faces I know Karen is there because that's where she sits I know Sinclair is there because that's where he sits I know Chris and Carly are there I know Chelsea's there but beyond that I cannot see you if you held up a sign and said Dr. Tony it's me I'm going to wave and say, I see you, boo, and I can't tell you who you are until I get my vision right. So sometimes we have sight, but we don't have vision. And if we're walking short-sighted, we still think that this thing is about us. And if I still think it's about me, when I come to church in a time of corporate worship and there's a river running and God is inviting us all to jump in, it means that he's inviting us all. So I'm grabbing you by the hand and saying, come get in the water because we're in this together and my vision is expanded. Because sight deals with just the eyes. Because you can have sight, but no vision. Vision is connected to the heart. So when you put on your spiritual glasses and all of a sudden you have 20-20 vision and everything comes into alignment, you begin to see the situation with your heart. And when we see it only with our eyes, we'll see hopelessness. We'll see that there's nothing we can do because it's just the way of the world and Jesus is coming back next week. And if they don't get it right, it's too bad for them. We'll send them love letters from heaven. Peace out, deuces. That's not how this works because he's not coming coming back on a rescue mission to escape us out of our trials and troubles he's coming back for a bride that looks like him and it's expanding her train daily her train is getting longer 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 her train looks longer than princess diana and you know who's covered in the train it is the righteous and he's making room for them and when we can see that through the lens of the father's heart we will not be content to only just be us and no more because i see you Jesus is real. Jesus. There's so much going on to pull our children and rip them asunder. But one thing we know for certain, prayer changes everything. It don't change some things, it changes everything. Even if the only thing that, need, that it changes is me. That means there's something to me that has to be changed in order to be aligned with him so that I become part of the change and not part of the complaining and not the solution. Whoo, Jesus. When we pray, we're putting the enemy to flight. The enemy comes in one way, but when we pray and we stand and we obey the Lord and he's given us a new commandment, we obey the commandments of the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy, this day, if you choose to obey the commandments that I've set before you and God and Jesus has given us a new commandment, that is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord with your whole heart, mind, and soul. When we walk in the commandment of love, guess what we will see? We will see what the word says. The enemy will come in one way and it'll flee seven different ways. We put the enemy to flight. It can't stay here. It can't attach itself to what belongs to the Lord. And we have made prophetic decrees and declarations for this house. That is for me and my house. And when I say me and my house, I don't necessarily mean just me and the Rob tribe. I mean me and the Encounter tribe. I mean me and the Henderson tribe. I mean me and the Vegas tribe. When me and my tribe, we will serve the Lord. We're covering our children and preventing the enemy from gaining a foothold in their lives. Huh. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When we commit to be like Rizba and stand on their behalf, refusing to allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day or the beasts of the field by night. I've just retired from coordinating the National Day of Prayer for the city of North Las Vegas. I did it for five years, and then God's moving me into a different area and a realm. So I, we passed the baton, and during the week leading up to prayer, the person who's over for the state sent out a prayer request and said, we need to pray. Because it was the week of the draft, and she said God had showed her all these people coming in from the drafts, and they were also bringing in their various demons, idols, entities, or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. She says, so let's just pray. And, you know, I'm like, well, 
I'm God chaser, not a demon chaser. So, Father, we just release heaven. I'm not trying to hunt out devils and demons. I'm looking for you where you at, what's your goodness, so we can release that. Because if we release that, everything else has to bow. And then that evening, she sent us a text and said her daughter, her niece or something, is a nurse at the ER of a big hospital here. And for some reason, that weekend, they had more teen suicide attempts in our city than they had had in months. If we don't think that there's something coming after our children, and again, we see it here, we've seen it with Jesus. What happened when they got the word that Jesus was on the scene, that there was a, the prophecy because the three wise men have went and they were looking for Jesus. And they're like, we want to come bow and worship this new king. And then, then what did he say? He said, oh, wait a minute. What new king? I'm still sitting on the throne. I didn't get that order from Rome. Nobody informed me of that. What's happening right now? And he said, go and find them. And when you find them, come back and tell me. So I can worship him too. But they knew by the spirit of God that that wasn't quite what you want. And when they didn't come back, <laughs> he said, let's put out a law. We about to kill everybody under the age of two. Because we're going to stop a movement. We're going to stop the Messiah. Well, guess what? They couldn't stop Moses. They couldn't stop Jesus. And they won't stop us. They will not stop us. The enemy cannot stop it. It can't run ahead of God. And God has said that there's a movement that's being released right now. And we're in the midst of it. And we're running it. And you will not be able to cut off the, our lineage and cut off our children. Because God is a God of generations. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm telling you, when we get to understanding of that that he's a generational God will rise up and will begin to defend not only our generation but the generation behind them and them and them and them because he's generational we're generational and we declare that the generations will rise up and worship the true and living God and I'll close with this I hope we've been able to give you an illustration of what it looks like to be a mom that follows hard after God. Because sometimes we think, oh, I'm just a mom. I'm just, you know, raising these kids and I'm just a mom. And I'm like, no, there's no such thing as just anything. You are birthing world changers, global influencers, atmosphere shifters. And if you don't see the value of what you carry as a mom, you won't see the value of what you pushed out as a mom. Listen, church, can I tell you, there's a movement that's coming and we're rising up and moms, you are, you have a peace in this. Whether it's birthing, whether it's interceding, whether it's contending for the promises and the hope of heaven over your life and the life of our nation and the nations beyond. You're not just a mom. You're a woman of power. You're a woman of influence. You're a woman of authority. And today we challenge you in this house to rise up and stand in your authority. And I know somebody's saying this is so good, in it, but I still want a baby. Then get up and be a mom to the motherless because we have a nation that is more motherless than any other time we talk about the nation of fatherless but there are people who have not known the love of a mother and why is it important that they know the love of a mother is because we talk about God and we say El Shaddai the many breasted one we know the Holy Spirit this is why mothers are important. This is why mothers, because as a mom, we're like a reflection or representation of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. And so when someone has never had a loving mom to nurture them and to speak hope and to speak life, it makes it just a little bit more difficult them, for them to just to slide into the safety and the trust of the Holy Spirit. And this movement is a movement that's being led by the Spirit, not by flesh. And Jesus and the Spirit and the bride say, come. When Mary saw Elizabeth, something about the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit caused John to leap. And there was a convergence of Father, Son, Holy Spirit made manifest on earth in that moment. 
we think it was in the Pentecost. And something powerful happened in Pentecost. But can I tell you, Pentecost is now. The Spirit is moving now. Can you feel your baby leaping? Can you feel the anticipation? Can you sense what the Father is doing in your midst? He's moving and he's good. Can we stand on our feet? And as you stand on your feet, can we lift our hands? And can we join our hearts in alignment with this move of the Spirit? Can we say, I'll actively engage? I won't resist the push. Because sometimes it's coming to push you so that you can push it out. When I had my first son, we talked about this last night, and I got stuck in labor, and I didn't have anything else to give, and they'd given me too much epidural, and I couldn't push. And I was refusing a C-section because I knew I just didn't. I was like, no, we're not, I'm not doing that. Nope, 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 nope. I need to give birth to this baby. And I didn't have it within me to do. And they brought in two nurses and they rolled up this sheet looking thing. And they started here. And they began to roll that baby. And roll until we pushed it out. I couldn't have given birth without assistance. Sometimes we think we're able to birth this thing out on our own. And I'm here to tell you, naturally, the body is designed to do what it does. And it's natural for a woman to, you know, people always say this in other countries. They just have babies in rice fields and keep working. Well, that's, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I, 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 listen, but let me tell you is this. In the kingdom, we're not designed to birth alone. We're not designed to birth alone. We did it, God. We're time now to lock hands and to lock arms as a body to bring birth to the fullness of what the Father has for us. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Father, we just thank you today that we are committed to being actively engaged. We won't buckle down, but we'll bear this thing out. Father, we are committed to aligning our hearts, our minds, our purposes, and our passions with yours. We are committed. We will not abort or abandon our mission. We will birth it out and we'll be here, Father God, to help others and assist them in their birthing process too. Father, I thank you. And we just bless every mama in this house. And we just declare your value. Mamas that are, mamas that will be. And we pray a special prayer over mamas whose children have left here untimely and sometimes even unjustly. And we pray healing over your broken heart. And we just celebrate you and we bless the mamas of this house. And we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. Amen. Do you all just receive his goodness today? We're going to ask the prayer team to come on up.